tell us another something in your own experience that was shocking to you in one of your trips to Israel. It, it kind of goes back to that feeling of peace, the, the unexpected peace, even among people of diverse backgrounds. People are, are living and working together and moving together, and I really appreciate that. It's hard to explain this sense of peace, this sense of shalom, and it's so counterintuitive because everything we see in the headlines is that Israel is surrounded by nations that perhaps would love to drive her into the heart of the sea, and yet the Lord gives peace. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world in the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. Just a heads up before we dive into our topic today, Carly, you know, A Jew and a Gentile Discuss is listener supported and we want to give you, our listeners, an opportunity at the end of this program to get more involved. So stay tuned for those details. Let's discuss. All right, Ezra, well, we're doing something a little bit different today. Usually you and I discuss some theological topic, but today we have a guest on that I'm really excited about. Today we have Tara Lee Cobble. She's the creator and host of the Bible Recap Podcast, which has more than 230 million downloads. She's also the founder of D Group, an international network of more than 300 discipleship and Bible study groups. So we're super excited to have you. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I have kind of an interesting way of stumbling upon the Bible Recap podcast. I, I, I mainly listen to podcasts when I run. And so last summer I was running, listening to a podcast with Paula Ferris and you were on there. And I was like, oh, you know, I've, I've never heard of this. So when I was done, I was like, I'll just grab the latest one. It was like 10 minutes or something. It was July 29th, day 210. And it was on Isaiah 49 to 53. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. You're talking about the forbidden chapter of Isaiah 53 and Uh, You mentioned that there was a great resource in the show notes if anyone wanted more information on it. And so I I went into the show notes and I clicked on the link and it so happened to be a link from Jewish Voice where we work. And I was like, wow, (laughs) of all the episodes that I've ever listened to, this is the only one. And it happens to link to the organization that I work for. So we just look at the sovereignty of God. (laughs) Yeah. All the episodes in all the world. There's a quote from Casablanca, the movie about that. But anyway. (laughs) Here we are. <laughs> yeah. So Providence exactly. brought us all together. Yeah. So we thought That's that was right. a great connection. And then even learning more about your connection with Israel and um, the Jewish people, we just wanted to talk to you and connect and talk more about that, since that's kind of what we usually talk about on this podcast. Yeah, great. I'm super I've been really looking forward to this. I just it's so exciting for me to get to talk to you guys. I have such a, a zeal for the word of God and the people of God and um, uh, obviously a heart connection to Israel and the Jewish people. And so um, this, I've been really looking forward to this. Totally. And, you know, so as Carly shared, Tara Lee, so much of what we're about in this particular podcast is trying to, you know, in one hand, hold the scriptures. What has God said thousands of years ago about what he's up to with Israel and the nations and specifically as it relates to Jewish people living in Israel and then uh, around the world. But then also on the other hand, you know, we used to say, hold a newspaper, right? Hold, hold, uh, you know, whatever.com you get your news on today and say, what do these two things have to do with each other? And how do we address the issue of Israel and the Jewish people? And what on earth that has to do with the church, with Christians in a way that sort of goes beneath the headlines and says, what's actually going on here? And so it's always great to meet a, a kindred spirit in that regard. And we so appreciate your work, uh, not only uh, the Bible-based content you're putting out, but also your your trips to Israel and your work and your advocacy for the state of Israel. We really uh, appreciate that and, and want to hear a little bit more about that. So 
if I can dive right in, tell us about your first trip to Israel. Like when, when was that and why did you go and what were you expecting and what did you find? You know, I had a father who, my, I, my father is still alive, and, but early on uh, in his life, he led tours to Israel before I was born. So I never even got to go with him, but he talked about it all the time. And I had all of these souvenirs throughout our home and in my bedroom, like little wooden camels and like all these different souvenirs he'd brought from Israel. And so I had this early awareness of Israel, but I really had no desire to go. I pictured it as this brown, you know, just sepia toned, sand covered, camel ridden area. And I was like, that doesn't sound, I'd rather go to Hawaii, you know, like why would I want to go there? And uh, I began to really study the word of God around 2009. And in 2012, my church offered a trip to Israel and I was, I was a part of the worship team. So when they were doing the promo for the trip to Israel that they were about to announce in the service, I left rehearsal and went and signed up before they even opened signups. I was the first person to sign up on their first trip. It just, my love for the word of God, maybe like, I don't care what it looks like. I want to go. And then much to my surprise, a lot of it actually looked kind of like Hawaii. I was like, who knew that this is what Israel looked like? It just totally belied all of my expectations. And uh, so that was my first trip. And I came back and Ezra, you know, everybody, especially in America, they say things like, oh, it's a once in a lifetime trip. And I came home and I was like, I was, I was praying in my bedroom and I was like, God, if that's a once in a lifetime trip, I need you to kill me now because I can't <laughs> never go back. Right. I have to go back there. Right, <laughs> right. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. I've never heard it described terribly as like Hawaii. I'm trying to like more hummus, less pineapple, but I could get there, I guess. <laughs> I guess with the palm I don't know, trees. Have you had the pineapple in Israel? Because I, it's delicious. I have. It's it's if, if you can negotiate a pineapple smoothie down to the appropriate price in, in the shuk, in the marketplace, <laughs> it is fantastic. It takes some doing but anyway that's awesome so you you went and you came back and said i have to do this more often and then fast forward to i mean you're bringing you're bringing trips you're bringing tours regularly now to the right. land of israel yeah. how did you get to that point where it was more than just kind of a personal desire to return but you said i have to bring other people along yeah so i talked to my dad about it i was like i love this place i want to go back and um, he said, you know, you can start leading tours there and then you can go for free. Then you don't have to pay to go. You can start going for free. And because I love to teach the Bible, that's sort of my niche. Uh, and my passion is to watch people have the light bulbs go off for people, you know, just for things to click. And I know how much things click for everyone when they're in Israel, when they can see the land while we're reading the scriptures where Jesus is preaching and you're, you're envisioning it all. And so I went on two biblical pilgrimages and I went on two geopolitical tours both helping me to learn about the space. And I wanted to sort of have a holistic impression of it. And so I did those four tours to learn. And then I started leading with the connections that I had through the Bible study group that I lead through D group, which is an international network of Bible studies. And, um, and then just more and more people started jumping on board. And uh, I go about twice a year now, there is a heightened demand. I mean, we have over 6,000 people on our waiting list at one point, and um, it's just increasing all the time, all the demand for it. So I love that for the foreseeable future, I'm going to get to keep going back to Israel and having really good pineapple, Ezra. <laughs> and, and hummus. Please, let's not forget and the hummus. hummus. Please. True. Awesome. True. That's great. That's great. Well, as the person on this uh, interview who has never been to Israel, 
um, I was saying that you have this great book that actually has all these pictures of Israel. And I have a very, not so much sepia tones, but more like bombs and terrorists when I think about Israel. And so looking at this book, um, it's everything is so beautiful. And all the pictures are, like you said, like Hawaii, like it's just like this resort uh, type experience. So it really changes the perception, even just going through the book. So that was kind of your perception of Israel. But are there other misconceptions you hear about Israel from people who haven't been and then their minds are totally changed when they go? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is there is the the fact that people think it's brown. Um, and that is, you know, part of it is brown. And but the brown is like beautiful, shockingly, the beautiful desert. Um, but I think people don't know that it's a Mediterranean paradise. Like it's the same climate and food and things as Italy and Greece. It's just, uh, it's in the Middle East. And so uh, on the other side of the Mediterranean there. So some people do think of it as brown. And then there, there's the safety factor that people often consider. What's funny, Carly, is that a lot of times on our trips, um, I would have people who would say like, okay, I'm really scared. Like, you know, I've read this article. I heard this thing. My friend said this thing. And Usually, like with my friends that I've taken on my trips, we'll get there and a couple days and I'll be like, hey, how you doing? How you feeling? And they're like, really good. Why? And I'm like, well, I was just thinking, you know, you were really concerned about the, and they were like, oh, I, I totally forgot that I was even afraid. Like I completely, I feel so, uh, just completely forgot. And there is a strange, I don't even know how to describe it. There's just a kind of a supernatural piece that I feel when I'm there. And uh, I have been there when, you know, challenging things are happening. Um, and I just strangely felt, I feel safer walking through Jerusalem or Tel Aviv at night than I do walking through Dallas. <laughs> and uh, there is, there are in, especially in Jerusalem, we tell the people, you're going to see soldiers. They're going to have guns on. Uh, a couple reasons that shouldn't make you afraid is they're there to prevent things from happening. Uh, and so their presence is a deterrent. And then additionally, because Israel has this thing where everybody has to join the military, I say, look around and you see every adult that you see with your eyes, for the most part, every adult has military training, has a vested interest in, in solving problems should they arise and knows how to solve problems should they arise. And so if anything crazy happens, everybody you see <laughs> knows what to do. Whereas in America, that's often not the case. Uh, we, we're, we find ourselves in challenging situations that are prolonged because not many of us know what to do. So um, I think there is, there's a, an extra layer of safety in that as well. Totally. My, my wife, Tara Lee, is from uh, Israel. She grew up in Israel, born in the brown part, in Beersheba, you know, in the Negev, in the <laughs> south. And she was actually, you know, she goes, I was in the IDF. And of course, so many Americans, what did you do? Did you blow anything up? Were you in a tank? She was a personal trainer for the officers. Like, so <laughs> she, she literally ran a gym. This was her role in the Israeli uh, army. So funny. on the one hand, yeah. we laugh, but... Uh, my wife, Tamar, will talk about, you know, how there's a reality that we don't understand in the States. And it's that in Israel, everybody, like you said, has to be willing to lay down their life for the country, for the land uh, and for their neighbor and their family. And uh, it, it's a land that we believe God protects. We see that in the scriptures, but it's it's often on our side of the equation, not without a fight. So that's certainly a, a reality there that I know you've encountered and the people you bring encounter. What um, tell us another kind of 
something in your own experience that was shocking to you, either either shockingly positive or something really difficult you encountered perhaps um, in, in one of your trips to Israel? You know, it, it, it kind of goes back to that feeling of peace, the, the unexpected peace, um, even among people of diverse backgrounds. So for instance, on our trips, we often have a bunch of Christians on a tour bus being guided by a Jewish tour guide being driven by a Muslim bus driver. Right, right. And so it's just, it's really interesting how we have great conversations. We eat lunch together. Nobody's angry. Nobody's yelling at each other. Um, and I think, the, I think the cultural differences that we see there uh, and the way that that, there are tensions there. It's mm. undeniable. There totally. is There is hatred there. It's undeniable. But in the same way that we see it in America, where those pockets exist and they are pronounced in the media, the reality on the land there is very different. People are, are living and working together and moving together. And um, there is uh, there are those outliers that do make things rough for everyone um, in a big life-changing way. Um, but there are still people who are very different, who are very neighborly with each other. And um, I really appreciate that. So. That's one thing. And then another thing that really shocked me. Uh, did you want to say something about that? Ezra? No, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I have a, okay. a verse I'm um, thinking of, but go ahead first. Okay. Well, this is a totally different example. But I remember when I was there, I went for five weeks uh, during COVID to shoot the photos for the book. Uh, my photographer and I went, we got it on work thesis. And so we get there and we're riding around. It's just us and our tour guide and another person from his team who were in his van driving around the country. We did the whole country by land and then the whole country by helicopter. And um, so we're driving around and I see a woman get her baby out of the front seat of a car. And I was like, Moshe, why, why is this woman grabbing her baby out of the front seat of her car? And he's like, that's where we put them. And I was like, why would you do that? Do you not love your babies? Yeah. And he was like, listen, uh in america why do you keep them in the back and i'm like they're safer if we have an accident and he's like right okay so what causes an accident often it would be the distraction of the driver and so what makes a driver distracted she's having to turn around because her baby's crying she's having to get the pacifier off the ground she's having to go back and give him his stuff to animal that he dropped on the ground right you are trying to make the accident safer we are trying to prevent the accident if the baby is there and it can see the mother's face and she can easily reach over and and give it the pacifier if it drops it like we have a less distracted driver who's less likely to have an accident and i came back to america and i was like why do we keep our babies in the back seat like, <laughs> this must change so funny, huh? i want those babies <laughs> on the dashboard immediately <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah that's hilarious and it's totally an israeli answer isn't it why do you keep your baby in the front because that's where we put the baby like it's such <laughs> classic anyway it's just, it was funny how, for me, the cultural differences, I have this inherent way of viewing the Western way or the American way as the right way. And it was, it was really, I liked having that challenged and going like, oh, there are different ways to think about things. Right. It's kind of cool. It is cool. I'm thinking of, you know, the idea of peace. And I experienced that my first trip to Israel of what's become, I, I don't know, I lost count it 50 times. And I'm so thankful to be able to kind of go back and forth. But my first trip there was in 06. Summer of 06 was when uh, Hezbollah kind of invaded northern Israel and the war with Lebanon began. And yet this incredible, like you said, it's hard to explain. It's hard to describe. But this sense of peace, this sense of shalom 
And I, I love the verse in, uh, in Haggai 2, 9. It says, and in that place I will give peace. And it's talking about actually, like specifically the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But there's something the Lord's up to, I think, not just in Jerusalem, uh, Yerushalayim, which we know means the village of the city of peace, but really in the whole land of Israel where there's this unexplainable peace. And it's so counterintuitive because everything we see in the headlines, right, is that Israel is surrounded by nations that perhaps would love to drive her into the heart of the sea, using their words, not mine. And yet the Lord gives peace. So it's something you kind of have to go and experience for yourself, but you're absolutely right. You know, you mentioned that growing up, you had this, like, you understood what Israel was or where it was. Um, so maybe that was part of your faith journey all along. But I'm curious if, you know, going to Israel and understanding the culture more has changed how you read the Bible or how you study the Bible. Oh, for sure. Like, <laughs> it's funny because I had this understanding of things in words, but not in images. And most of, I realized, I don't know about you guys, but when I would read the Bible as a child, I was envisioning it happening in spaces that I knew of. So for instance, um, the Jacob and Esau story of uh, the the stew and all those things that happened in my grandparents' backyard. And um, the, the, right. the story of, of uh, you know, like them tricking, like it's just, it's all happening in my grandparents' home and in their backyard or my parents' backyard. Those are where all those things happened in my mind. And so it was really cool to go to Israel and realize that that's not where those things happened, you know, to be able to visualize the whole Bible. I am hard pressed to open a page of my Bible and not be able to picture it and not picture it as I imagined it, but picture it as it was. Right. And that's really incredible. Like even the fact that, you know, that shoreline along the Sea of Galilee, that Northwest shoreline where Jesus did his three years of ministry hasn't changed in 2000 years and people to go and know this is what he looked at. Uh, this is what he saw. This is what the landscape looked like. This is the kinds of vegetables that they grew there and the kinds of fruits that they grew there and um, what those trees look like. And um, to see a fig tree there and go, Oh, <laughs> right. you know, like this is, you cursed one of these, you know um, it's just really uh, incredible to be able to visualize it all. That's changed it's changed the way I read the Bible in the way that, you know, sometimes when people, I, I am not a person who has read or seen Harry Potter, but my friends who have talk about how, like when they started watching the movies, it changed the way they read the future books because they now have a picture of this person. And some people love that. Some people don't love it, but those are all fictional people. Uh, whereas this is a real person. So this is, you're learning the actual truth. So that's, that's been really cool is just to be able to picture things. Right. Yeah, that idea of, of the, the Bible going from 2D to 3D once you set foot in the mm -hmm. land of Israel, uh, even as a tourist. And then, Tara Lee, talk a little bit about also kind of the Jewish context of the scriptures. Not just now I know where these things happen, but, you know, something mm -hmm. we talk about so often on this podcast is Jesus wasn't the God of the Christians who showed up around 0 AD and invented a new religion <laughs> for people to follow. Right. He was the promised Messiah of Israel. How is... How has uh, going to Israel informed your own view or understanding of, of really the Jewish roots or Jewish context of, of faith in Jesus? Yeah, I, I definitely see the roots of things that I discover in modern day Israel. I definitely see the roots of Christianity in those spaces and the roots of, of Judaism um, in ways that, like, it's funny. One of the things that every trip 
our people are shocked by is the Sabbath elevator in hotels. Right. So um, the fact that we make sure we make sure we are in Jerusalem for Shabbat, like we want we want them to have that experience. We want them to see people rushing through the market, the Mahani Yehuda market on a Friday afternoon as they're about to shut down and people have got to get their groceries and get home before right. the sun sets. So they do all their preparation before the sun sets. Sure. And then they see the stillness of the streets. They see the quiet overnight. They, in you know, when sun comes up on Saturday morning, they hear birds chirping and not horns honking. They, they see the piece of that and, and the Shabbat elevator, which for those of you listeners who are unfamiliar, uh, there's an elevator in, in most hotels in Israel that because uh, practicing Jews are not allowed to push the button on the Sabbath, the elevator just opens on every floor. So you just pray to God you're staying on the second floor because you don't want to have to ride that thing up 30 floors. Totally. Um, but it's it's one of those things that you see like, oh, this is, these are things that um, the people in Jesus' day had their own version of this. Even though there were no elevators, there were no buses, there were no cars, they had their own versions of what these things looked like. And for sure. instance, a Sabbath day's journey in scripture, you understand like, oh, they can only walk a certain number of steps. Right. Um, and and you even can see the ways that the laws of the Pharisees were building a fence around those laws of God. The fact sure. that people could spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but not spit on dirt because that's too close to brick laying. And so then you understand when Jesus spits on the dirt on the Sabbath to make mud to go on the eyes of the blind man, you understand like, oh, he's actually, he's, he's kind of like uh, pushing back on the Pharisees' additions to the laws of God. Right. He's not breaking the Sabbath. Sure. But he's, he's showing that distinction. Totally. So important and so to... seeing the way all that comes into play uh, in, in modern society, and then you can think of it in ancient society as well. Right. And for those, for listeners who are going, wait a minute, uh, you lost me at Sabbath elevator. What's going on? Right. It's that idea, right? <laughs> it comes from that verse, don't kindle a fire on the Sabbath. And so because electricity involves sparks, the idea is I'm not going to push a right. button so that I don't come even close to breaking the commandment. And what's going on there for the Jewish community, right? It's a zeal to honor God and to follow his commandments. But it's been so interpreted, and then we might even say what Jesus was pushing on was the misinterpretation of it. He wasn't canceling right. the law. He was saying, exactly. I'm the fulfillment of it. God is a God of mercy, not a God of heavy burdens upon men's shoulders. And so, yeah, so cool to see that, as you said, really lived out in the zeal of the more observant Jewish communities in Israel and how that affects the whole country. Uh, yeah. And then to read the scriptures through that lens. I'm curious, have you taken any of those Jewish practices that you've be learned about when you're there into your own Christian walk, like Sabbath or the holidays or anything like that? I'm a very, I'm, I do a very uh, Americanized version of practicing Sabbath. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I don't have the dinner. Um, I also don't stop using my electricity, but I do this practice of I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna earn or achieve anything today. I don't work today. Today, if I go for a walk or a run, it is not to get in steps. It is not to burn calories. It is to commune with God. I do more time in Bible study. I do more time in prayer. I do more time in journaling. Um, and so I take that that 24 hour period, and my laptop is put away, 
Uh, I have a phone that I, I don't have my email on it, things like that. So there's no temptation to work there. And I just make sure today I'm reminded that the world exists apart from my effort and that all that is required of me has been accomplished on my behalf uh, by Jesus. And so um, that's sort of a good re weekly reset for my heart and my mind and my soul. Um, and man, I, I have some friends who just started doing like a Sabbath dinner practice and uh, I love that idea. I think it's great. I would love to um, be invited to that at some point, but at this point it's only men, so I cannot come. <laughs> so. <laughs> Right. Eventually, uh, eventually one of them is about to get married and, and his, his wife will hopefully be invited. And then maybe I can join the fold. Yeah. There you go. There you go. We can hope. Well, like we this, hope. that's so yeah. as ahead, like the Sabbath elevator, I just learned that there's like a Shabbat option on the oven. So it, on American ovens. So you can oh, just yeah. like and you don't even have to pay more for it. <laughs> Every oven has it. We just don't know about it. Right. Wow. Right. And it's that same idea. Like, yeah. don't do work on the Shabbat. And Terry, I love your um, what can we say? Not personal interpretation, but each of us have to figure out how to live that out before the Lord in a way that we have shalom about and that we feel like is pleasing to him. And I appreciated that idea that uh, I'm not earning or achieving anything on the Shabbat because everything's been accomplished. Super helpful. I hope yeah. for those listening today, you know, who have maybe listened to our other episodes or who are thinking about, hey, how do I do a Sabbath in my life? That's a great kind of foundation is to run things through that filter. Yeah, thanks. So I'm curious, since we're talking about Israel and the Jewish context of the scriptures, any Jewish heritage in your family like that you're aware of or or you're <sighs> a Christian who of. just loves Israel? And yeah, <laughs> I did 23 and me and I, you know, fingers crossed. Uh -huh. and God said no. So, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Well, you can still have our hummus. It's fine. We'll allow. Thank you. you know, thank you're you. Welcome to the yes. fold. Welcome to the fold. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah. Awesome. So along those lines, um, I'm sure, you know, in, in the circles you run, uh, any any Jewish co-workers, any Jewish contacts in the media world who go, okay, why are you running to uh, the Holy Land all the time? You're not Jewish. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Any curiosity <laughs> from Jewish contacts? Uh, yeah, one of my closest friends, her name is Esther. I used to live in New York City and I met Esther within 24 hours of moving to Manhattan. And we became fast friends. And one of the one of the things that built our friendship so quickly is that without even really discussing it, we just decided we're just gonna be who we are. And um, with the kind of curiosity to find out who the other is, I was the only Christian she was friends with. She was the only Jewish person I was friends with. And so we would go to dinner once a week, every week we would have dinner and we would just kind of like talk about our lives, talk about our faith, ask any questions. No question was off the table. Uh, and it was it's really, um, you know, she she uh, she went over to Israel and spent some time there studying. And um, the first time I went, I called her with so many questions. I knew nothing. I was like, "What is the West Bank West of?" You know, like just questions right. of just like I don't I don't understand what this means. Like, what mm -hmm. are these? Wh why is everybody so angry? What's this about? I just she had to she had to teach me. And um, so there is, uh, I think, a lot of appreciation on her part for the way I have come to love Israel. Yeah. And a lot of that awesome. is due in part to her. Totally. Yeah. I think the name of the game is that that shared curiosity, right? Not coming necessarily to convince the other party that we're right and they need right. to adjust, but to, to understand. And so what would you say as we're kind of 
wrapping up here, what would you say to a Christian listener who's going, you know, I have Jewish friends, I have Jewish contacts, but I'm a little bit standoffish because I don't want to offend them and I don't know what I can ask or not ask. And I feel like I want them to know what I believe and that I believe Jesus is Jewish and is the Messiah, but I don't know how to broach that subject. Uh, give, give some advice to that listener today. Yeah, goodness. Um, I, I love... Uh... I love this question. And I think one of the things that I try to do anytime I encounter somebody whose faith is different than mine is to approach it with kindness and humility and curiosity um, to see them as a person. You know, Jesus, when he's sitting with the woman at the well, he talks to her about her heart and what's going on and all these things. He's engaging with her as a human being before he's like, guess what? I'm the Messiah. And I, I love that. And so I have a friend who he says, every time I get into an Uber, he's like, I love to take Uber. A lot of my Uber drivers turn out to be people from other countries. And when I hear their accent, I say, where's your accent from? Oh, you know, how long did you live there? And what's the prominent religion in your country? And are you an adherent to that religion? And what about your religion, whether it's that or another, what about your religion do, brings you peace? What challenges do you experience in your religion? And just sort of opens that conversation to them and then takes the opportunity to say, well, I'm a Christian and um, here's what I love about, about my faith. And here's, here's what I love about that. And, um, you know, I heard someone say once that the best way to fall in love with something is to watch someone else love it. And so as opposed to going in aggressively, like you're wrong, I'm right to ask them questions, humility, opens their heart, you get to hear their story, you get to learn something about them. And then as they watch you fall in love with something, as they watch you love the God of the universe, that's where something beautiful happens that you can't manufacture. And I, briefly, I'll tell you a cool thing that happened with my friend Esther. Sure. After we've been friends for about a decade, I had a crisis of faith and I went to New York City to wrestle with God, which is what I often, I often go there when I'm really in a challenging situation. And so I made appointments with all of my friends who were, who lived in the city, who knew me well. And I wanted to talk about what I was going through and what I was thinking. My first meeting was with Esther and I'm like, she's going to love this because I'm going to tell her that I'm really frustrated with God and I'm not sure I like him. And she's, this is, this is what she's been waiting for because Esther would now consider herself an agnostic Jew. I see. And so, uh, she was going to love that I did not like God in my estimation, but because I'd spent 10 years telling her what I believe, I sat across from my friend and I told her what I just told you. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I like him. I think I might be tapping out. Esther said, no, this is not who you are. I don't know what's happening right now, but this is not who you are. And this is not what you believe. Here's what you've told me about who God is. And you've told me that he doesn't promise to give you everything you desire. And so just because he's holding out on you in this one area, you don't get to push back and walk away from what you believe. This is not, I don't know what's going on, but this is not who you are. Mm. Wow. Go Esther. And I, <laughs> right? Like preach Esther, it. Come Esther on. essentially preached the gospel to me. Come on, girl. But she wouldn't have been able to do that had I not spent all that time really telling her who I am and what I believe in. But like her watching me come alive with that. And it was funny, Esther's really active on Twitter. And as I was walking back to my, the place I was staying that night, I was scrolling Twitter and I saw that she had just tweeted and she said, uh, hello, crisis of faith hotline, Esther the agnostic speaking, how may I help you? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> wow. I was like, you did help me Esther, you did. Yeah, that's awesome. Through relationship, 
through relationship mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What a great example of a witness too, like you said, to just love on people and see them as they are. And I also talk to Uber drivers, but I've never asked their country religion. So that's a really interesting way to bring that up and, and ask them about it without saying, oh, well, I'm a Christian, but like, you know, care about what their religion is and what they struggle with and what they like about it. So I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate the conversation and we're fans of the work that you're doing by Definitely. Um, bringing the Bible to Christians and sharing Israel with them. For those listening, can you give them a little insight of where they could find you if they're interested in more? Absolutely. Uh, if you want to go to Israel with me, you can go to Israelux.com, I-S-R-A-E-L-U-X.com. People often, when they're spelling Israel, misspell it. Um, it's not spelled Israel. <laughs> A comes before E in the alphabet and in Israel. Uh, and so IsraelX.com. If you want to read through the Bible with me, we have a really easy plan, about eight minutes uh, a day of me talking to you and explaining what you just read. And that is at thebiblerecap.com. Thebiblerecap.com. And then click the start link. That'll help you figure out how to do the plan. And anything else, just terraleecabble.com. Nice. Awesome. Thanks so much. We really appreciate the time you took today. Yeah, thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you guys. If you benefited from what you heard today and you feel others could benefit from hearing it too, we want to ask you to get involved and become a supporter. $50 gets this and other important messages out to a broader audience and gets life-saving medical care to one additional underserved Jewish person living far outside the land of Israel. As a thank you, we'll send you a bag of fresh roasted Ethiopian beans from our own Lost Tribes Coffee Company. These delicious beans are responsible for both the speed and intensity with which Ezra expresses himself on this podcast. Totally true, Carly. And if you're not ready to become a supporter today, just let us know that you listen by entering and giving a little bit of information. You'll be entered in a drawing to win a free bag of that Lost Tribes Coffee Company coffee. You can go to our website at jewandagentiledisgust.org or click in the show notes for more information. And if you want to hear more episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast content. And we'd also love if you leave us a review and share this podcast with someone you know. You can also follow us on social media at the handle A Jew and A Gentile Discuss. And if there's anything you want us to discuss or have us answer, please submit your questions at our website, A Jew and A Gentile Discuss.org. This is Carly and Ezra. Thanks for listening to A Jew and A Gentile Discuss. Join us next week for another episode. The show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.